Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Extra Point Podcast. My name is Todd Stiles, one of the pastors at First Family Church, and the Extra Point Podcast is simply a bonus opportunity for us to take a a look back at last week's text and usually a topic as well and bring some further insight, um, add some additional application. In the case for this week, which is Tuesday, May 31st, it's a chance to answer some more questions and to bring even more clarity to questions that were asked during our service uh, on Sunday. As you recall, we were uh, looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 22 to 25, which really uh, illustrate for us the life of Christ uh, during his intense suffering and how he endured uh, faithfully and how he entrusted himself and the whole situation to his father. It's this explanation in those verses that help us understand what Peter meant when he said we're to follow in his steps, and that's verse 21. And so after walking through the text, I then took some time to take questions from the audience through our text line, and we answered some of those. Some of those we could not get to, and for some of those, I wanted to bring further insight. And so on this edition of the Extra Point Podcast, we're going to do exactly that. We're going to bring some further insight into the questions that came to us as a result of our time in the text of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. The first question that we addressed briefly, but I don't think we answered it in a, in a completely helpful manner, to be frank with you. Um, here's the question. Since Old Testament saints looked forward to the coming Messiah, who or what was their example of Christ-likeness? I think he's referring to um, Peter's exhortation for us to uh, follow in the steps of Jesus being kind of a retroactive type of perspective. We look back and see what Jesus did, and then we can follow in that same example and model. He's saying in this question, since they were looking forward, you know, whose steps were they following, so to speak? And I think in the, in the moment of that question, I did answer by saying that the prophecies given about the Messiah, such as Isaiah 53, which, by the way, is a real uh, uh, base text for Peter in those verses in chapter 2. He relies a lot upon Isaiah 53. My point was that Isaiah 53 is a section of Scripture in the Old Testament to Old Testament saints about the suffering servant of the Lord. And so though they may not have seen that played out yet, they were still to look forward and to anticipate this one who would live in that way. So that's a sufficient answer to some degree, but I think some additional help would be to know this, that those Old Testament saints also had the Psalms, and the Psalms talk a good bit about waiting for the deliverance of the Lord. Um, You know, multiple Psalms are uh, written in times of crises, of suffering, of unjust treatment, And they do speak of uh, a coming deliverance, of waiting patiently. And so those psalms were a source of motivation and a source of of direction-setting type of perspective for these Old Testament saints. And in addition to the psalms themselves, there are those uh, in the Old Testament who would serve as types. Uh, One of our members came to me afterwards and said, Todd, I think uh, these folks in the Old Testament that are mentioned serve as as types of the ultimate one who would endure perfectly, and they were able to look at those who were around them in that moment, such as David, the author of many of the Psalms, who, if you recall, did uh, suffer well and endure a number of injustices, and then there were other ones as well. 
uh, Noah, I'm, re- I'm remembering for, for those years of preaching and, and, of course, then just enduring that well as they no doubt mocked him and didn't believe him, and yet he continued to follow the Lord. And so I think these are two other answers that will help us understand who Old Testament saints um, you know, looked to in regards to seeing what a Christ-like posture was like even when Christ had not come yet. I think it would be the writings of the Old Testament, especially the prophecies, and then, of course, the Psalms, and then those in the Old Testament who would serve as types of Christ, who was the ultimate perfect um, one to, to suffer well and endure mis, uh, injustice on our behalf. So I would just want to add that to the answer I gave Sunday. But of course, that's not the uh, largest question in everyone's mind. As we entered into this question and answer time from Sunday, um, many of the questions, in fact, three of them all dealt with what do we do if a law goes into effect that does go against our conscience? Now, I, I bring this question up because I contended in the message that often um, um, we hear a lot about humble submission. We see what Peter wrote and Paul wrote in Romans 13, and um, we can uh, begin to realize that this is a very hard pursuit to live in a posture of humble submission to governing authorities. And I'd received a question the week before on this issue of like, what if we um, feel like it really, you know, goes against what we believe? Uh, How do we still live in a posture of humble submission when it goes against things that we don't agree with? And so within that question from the previous week, I was simply saying that when those things aren't laws, we simply have the uh, opportunity or the option, we can even use the word freedom or right, to um, make a different choice. And this person's email, I think, dealt with things like vaccinations or maybe other uh, things that are highly suggested. And they were saying, when we disagree with those, do we still have to humbly submit to those? And my, my uh, response was, if it's not a law, then you still want to maintain a posture of humility, but you don't have to obey it. You're, you're free to take another course of action with the same posture of civility, um, of Christian liberty, uh, humility, like, you know, all the traits that would represent a follower of Christ. But if it's not law, you are able to follow your conscience, which means you may choose option A, and someone else who loves the Lord may choose option B. But within a spirit of, of liberty and awareness that the conscience can actually have you know, be led differently in certain areas that aren't specifically addressed by Scripture, that we can actually disagree agreeably. And so I was making the case that in those kinds of moments, when our government, uh, government or the governing authorities may lean into a certain direction and suggestion, but it's not a law, you are still free uh, to make a choice that's in line with your conscience and follow the Lord's direction in that area. And so it was on the heels of that, um, can I call it an answer or that explanation, 
that this question came in, which was, what about laws in place that go against your conscience? Or, as two other folks said, what if it is a law that goes against your conscience? Do we have to submit then? And I'll go ahead and just tell you what I think the Bible teaches here, and I'll explain it a little further. And with this understanding that possibly there will be some who will hear this who won't disagree. But if you're asking me what I think the Bible teaches in areas of conscience when there is a law that's passed requiring us to obey, I would say that's exactly Peter's point, is that in those moments there is to be a humble submission to the governing authorities because, as Paul said, there's no authority except from God. So I would say to you, yes, that's the exact precise moment we have to exhibit humble submission and obey our governing authorities. Now, I realize that there are some who will not hear that well because they'll say that their conscience issue is being violated. And, and so we have to understand that when I say conscience issue, I'm meaning an issue that isn't directly addressed by Scripture. You see, if it is an area directly addressed by Scripture, if it is an area in which we have a command from God, then we don't have the option or the privilege to disobey God if the government passes a law against that or commanding something that's in violation of God's law. We are to obey God's law first and then be willing to suffer the consequences of obeying God instead of man. But that's not a conscience issue, that's a command issue. And I think civil disobedience is in play when we are compelled by human authorities or governing authorities or when we are commanded by man to do what God explicitly in Scripture says we should not be doing. And this is where I think the rub comes in. It's that some will say, well, this conscience issue is actually a command in the Word of God. And others would say, well, that is actually not. And so on this point, we have to just be very uh, clear that there could just be fundamental disagreement. And let me provide an example for you that I think will hit home and could just be one of those things that we have to uh, either disagree on, perhaps, or be willing to have conversation about in a graceful way. I'll go ahead and, and stick with the illustration of vaccinations. Let's say that nationally, across the board in our country, they begin to require vaccinations. There are some who would say there's not a verse about that, and so we should follow Peter's exhortation and Paul's and submit to our governing authorities. There and there are those who would say, no, it's against my conscience. I will simply uh, refuse to do it, and I'll accept the consequences and then there are those who would say it's actually a command not to put something harmful or poisonous into your body, and that's what vaccinations are. And so they would actually then run to a scripture, uh, perhaps in some fashion to say you shouldn't harm your body, and suddenly you have three different perspectives on this issue that one person considers a conscience area, that there's no verse about a vaccination. Some would say I'm free to disobey it if I'm willing to pay the consequences. Others would say, no, there's actually a verse about it. You're harming yourself, and that's against God's command. 
In all frankness, I probably on this issue fall into the first category, but I'm not a medical expert. I'm not a chemist. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist. And so I know there are folks listening to me right now who would disagree with that and would feel like they have the biblical command not to do it. So I'm admitting to you, this these are hard waters to navigate. But if I had to answer the question um, that was asked of me Sunday, what if there is a law passed about a conscience area and we could find agreement that it was a conscience area or a conscience issue, I would say we are called at that point to submit to our governing authorities. On the heels of that, can I just ask that not only um, that, that you'll hear me humbly in that, I'm trying to express it humbly because I know it's a, an issue or a, a subject or a concept that really ramps up people's emotions. But this is precisely the point about conscience issues. There is the fact that there are different opinions. And so I would just urge you to make sure that as you investigate civil disobedience and whether or not you have room to disobey, that you have the clarity that Scripture clearly speaks to the issue. And sometimes, you know, just to be frank with you, and I've done this in my past, and I'm sure many of us have, we make uh, certain verses mean certain things in order to justify something we want to do. And I would just encourage all of us to let's hear the Scriptures plainly and clearly and make sure that as we look at not obeying a governing authority— that we actually are involved in true biblical civil disobedience, not in some other form of just trying to get our own way. And this is not uh, uh, throwing shade upon someone who believes differently about vaccinations or some other issue at stake here, whether it's related to the pandemic or not. It's just simply calling all of us to a humble posture under the Scriptures to make sure that if we think we have the freedom to actually disobey the governing authorities, which is what we're called to do in Romans and 1 Peter. If we think we have the freedom to disobey them, let's make sure that that freedom is then rooted in this fact that our governing authorities are commanding and compelling us to disobey the clear scriptural command of God. If that's not happening, my contention is, that both Peter and Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit in their writings of the New Testament, call us to humbly submit to the governing authorities. Allow me to provide maybe some further illustrations and windows of, of things that perhaps many of us do that we don't necessarily like and that we may even find a problem with in regards to our conscience. But we still obey them. We still humbly submit to them. One of those, to be frank with you, maybe taxes. Uh, we are taxed at a substantial level in many ways. Uh, and I don't mean just income tax, but then, of course, there are user taxes. Then there are road taxes we call tolls. And if you were to add it all up, you know, gas tax, uh, as well as then just regular taxes that you pay annually, I mean, you get to a pretty high percentage. And then if you add to that other aspects of taxes that I think personally uh, speak to almost uh, double taxing, such as the death tax, 
you could possibly quickly arrive at a place where your conscience is violated. Like, I can't believe that I'm, uh, you know, that this is occurring, that almost the sense that I'm being wronged uh, in a, from a tax perspective. And so could someone make the case that, well, it goes against my conscience to pay that much in tax or to pay that tax twice? I might say to you they, they could possibly find a way to do that, and then could they exempt themselves from paying taxes? Well, the answer to the question is there are some who do that. Is that right then, or should the response instead be, no, the governing authorities have passed a law that this is how taxes work, and so we humbly submit to that, even though it perhaps goes against a conscience area for us, if we were to have that in regards to taxes. I also think this was the case often in regards to the draft when it was uh, in place. As you know now, we don't have a mandatory draft. But in the years that we did, there were many who felt like it went against their conscience, and yet there were many that knew that was still their obligation as a citizen, not only of this world, but as a citizen of heaven to obey the Scriptures, which called them to obey their governing authorities. And so many who weren't quite sure they liked it still registered for the draft. Uh, There were those who were called conscientious objectors who did not, And at this point, and I think this is true even for vaccinations, even currently in some ways, the government often would offer an olive branch. There was a a way to get a religious exemption uh, from the draft for different reasons, and I think that's true today in certain areas. And here's where the next temptation comes into play, is that for those who um, go down the road of a religious exemption, I just want to exhort you that to be sure it's a deeply held conviction and that you're applying for a religious exemption because of something you deeply hold, not something that's just conveniently embraced. And so we have we always find ourselves intersecting uh, at moments of integrity. Are we holding to our faith and are we holding to the Word of God rightly and submissively, uh, correctly? Or are we simply using different scenarios and situations and frameworks to to just simply get our way because we're uncomfortable? And I think this is precisely Peter's point, is that there will be times when it will be uncomfortable and costly, and it will be difficult to submit. But at that moment, as long as it doesn't contradict God's Word clearly, and that we're not compelled or commanded to break God's law, we should find a way to humbly submit to man's law, because in doing so, we actually are doing the good of showing humility and submissiveness, which is a great example to those who are watching. Even those who are speaking wrongfully of us and accusing us of being wrong, in the end, that very type of submissive posture, again, not passive, because humility is anything but passive. It's very active. But this active posture of humility It screams uh, a beautiful message of the gospel to those who are watching and wanting to accuse us of selfishness. Instead, they're seeing a spirit of Christ-likeness, who he himself did this very thing under the rule of of Pilate and Herod and and, and these uh, unjust leaders. He submitted himself, just as 1 Peter 2, 22-25 show us. Uh, 
And so a lot of words on today's podcast. I just want you to hear this humbly. I'm trying to say it humbly. I want us to be aware of, of our responsibility. It's not to try to craft the Word of God to fit our situations. It is to simply come up under the authority of the Word of God and in in the greatest of clarity and in the best um, you know pursuit of humility. If I had to answer the question, what if a law then is passed in regards to a conscience area I have? Assuming it is a legitimate conscience issue, I would say Peter and Paul both call us to humbly submit and to suffer the uh, to humbly submit and then hopefully through that posture uh, speak well of the gospel and uh, be a testimony for the Lord. Well, I no doubt have probably stirred the hornet's nest again today on the Extra Point podcast, but I'm trusting the Lord, and I know you are as well, that together we can navigate these waters as more and more our culture will probably find ways to intersect with things that we hold of great value and where we have to stand strong on God's Word and not give in because it's clearly commanded, we will obey God rather than men. But where we can show a humble posture of submission to our governing authorities that doesn't clearly violate or compel us to, um, that doesn't clearly violate God's Word or compel us to disobey, let us do our very best to embrace a general posture of humble submission Let us utilize the law rightfully, and then let us entrust the entire situation to God. I think that is the the, the mindset we're trying to to really chase after in regards to obeying 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, especially 22 to 25. But as we look at the whole gamut of the last part of Peter's letter, in all of these environments and arenas where there perhaps are moments of unjust treatment— it is humble submission that clearly portrays a gospel message. And I remind you, that's not a passive posture. That perhaps is the most active posture you can take. Well, I trust I've been heard well today. Um, and I trust that the Lord is working in your life and my life as together we chase hard after being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.